Thanks for downloading this podcast from Healthcare Improvement Scotland. My name is Dr Brian Robson and I'm the organisation's Medical Director. We regularly share new ideas and presentations from thought leaders in the fields of innovation, improvement and integration. In this podcast, we hear from Maureen Bisignano. Maureen is a master of harvesting inspiring stories from all over the world to share and learn from. In her talk, Maureen describes how the science of improvement has been used to lead to breakthrough improvements across the world. Her remarkable stories range from healthcare to schools to communities. Watch out for the great story of what happens when you feed Coca-Cola to a houseplant. Now let's listen to our conversation with Maureen. Our speaker will be very well known to many of you as she has a long-standing and deep relationship with Scotland and has inspired us in our efforts to improve care across our nation. Our speaker started her career as a frontline nurse and has never forgotten her experiences in that role and to this day spends as much time with health and care workers at their place of work as possible. She is, of course, Maureen Bisignano, the President and Chief Executive Officer of the Institute for Healthcare uh, Improvement. And we're absolutely delighted to have Maureen with us today. Good afternoon, Maureen. Thank you, Brian, and I'm absolutely delighted to be with you. It's a pleasure to to have this opportunity to be talking to you all a little bit about some of IHI's work, but also to be sharing with you some examples of the kind of work that we're doing around the world. So I uh, look forward to this time, and please do, as Brian said, uh, chat in your questions or um your observations, your ideas, because uh, our motto here at IHI is all teach, all learn, and I'm hoping to learn as much as I share with you this afternoon. So um, I I thought I'd talk today a little bit about the journey that we're taking at IHI, and it really is moving from improving health care to also improving health. The mission that we've got here at IHI in Cambridge, Massachusetts in the U.S., is to improve health and healthcare worldwide. And our vision is that everyone has the best care and health possible. So the way that we think about this is that we've um, got to move upstream a bit and start to think in a new way about our work in healthcare. Um, you'll see here on the slide, this is IHI's uh, strategy on one page. And in the early days of IHI, most of our work was in that top blue circle on the left. It was about accelerating the pace of improvement in healthcare. And we mostly were looking at safety and access and flow, person and family-centered care. But we realized quickly that as good as we were getting at healthcare, we weren't really impacting health, and that was the true end game. So we added the second blue circle at the top and said not only do we need to continue to accelerate the pace of improvement in healthcare, but and we need to innovate and partner with organizations to improve health. And so I want to just give you a couple of examples of our work in both areas so that you get a sense that we're not done yet with the journey of improving healthcare, but we have lots of hope and optimism about improving health. If we start with the triple aim, and this is where I think most people are in healthcare today. When we started the idea of the triple aim back in 2007, 
we went around and asked people, where do you see yourself? And people sorted themselves quite clearly. Either I'm a population health or a public health person, or in the bottom left, I'm working on the experience of care. I'm a physician or a nurse or an administrator providing care, or I'm in the finance area. But we found few people who identified themselves in the middle. So we put that little blue dot in the middle to say we think it's all of our jobs to come in and work together on the triple aim. And that's what I want to share with you this afternoon. This year in 2006, on the, uh, in October uh, 6th of 2014, we launched a new leadership alliance. And this is about the, the circle on the left. This is about improving health care. We started in the United States, but we're hoping to expand this outside the U.S. this year in 2015. And what we did was we called upon pioneering organizations to come together and say, we're going to transform healthcare ourselves. We're healthcare leaders. We're going to take the responsibility. We're not going to wait for government or policy, insurance companies or payers. We're going to step in, and we're the ones that know best what patients and families need. We're going to transform healthcare. It's been a really interesting experience. We have four parts to this journey. The first one is redesigning measurement. And Elliot Fisher, who's the founder of accountable care organizations here in the United States, is our lead on redesigning measurement so that it's meaningful and useful and not overburdening the staff that are trying to provide care. The second piece is a piece that's being led by Don Berwick, the former CEO of IHI, and this is about radical redesign. I'll come back to that in just a moment. The third piece is about leadership and joy in work. What is it like to lead in today's very complicated healthcare organizations with multi-professional teams, multi-generational uh, staff, and a hugely quick pace of change? And I'm leading that work. And then finally, the fourth strategy is collective voice. If we all say the same thing together, we believe we can accelerate the pace of change. But let me come back to John Berwick's piece, and that is radical redesign of the care systems and processes. What we did was create a list of radical redesign principles that we're using to prompt conversations with healthcare leaders around the country. And I can tell you it's an amazing thing when you promote, provoke people with these kind of principles. Cultivate joy in work. We're taking a deep look at that, making it easy. Um, I want to talk a little bit about moving knowledge, not people, and give you an example of some work we're partnering with today. Um, one of the things that we're doing is we're working on a project in, um, that began by, with a, a physician in New Mexico. Uh, his name is Sanjeev Arora, and he was the only um, hepatitis C physician in the state of New Mexico so that everybody who needed care for that particular devastating disease would have to travel to the University of New Mexico, the Academic Medical Center. They would often have to wait months because he was the only physician um, in the state qualified to care for those patients. And then the people, the patients, often had to drive two to 300 miles to visit him. When they returned to their home primary care sites, they were working with a primary care team that knew nothing about the specialized care they were receiving at the university. So Sanjeev came up with an idea. Maybe he should move knowledge, not people. 
And this picture here, that's Sanjeev sitting under the E with the tie, the suit and tie on. Um, he now is providing care by um, do, not doing telemedicine, but doing tele-teaching and tele-consulting. So you can see him there on a Monday morning in his office with a very inexpensive video conferencing, and he's connected up to primary care practices around the United States. What he's doing is using case studies to present best practices in caring for patients. And so a primary care physician might have a particularly challenging patient. They'll present the case study, and he'll walk through the, the uh, clinical, best clinical care for that particular patient. So what he's doing is through teaching and case studies, through coaching and consulting, he's equipping people all over the first the state of New Mexico, then the country, to provide best care for this complicated disease. Look at this. The treatment outcomes for Project ECHO are actually better than the care he was able to provide one-on-one -on -one at the University of New Mexico. So it's, we're seeing better care and, uh, of course, much better patient satisfaction. They're not having to drive and sit in a wait for months for an appointment. The primary care doctors love it. I could give, go on and on about the clinical outcomes. But the physicians are saying that they feel so confident now in caring for these patients, and they're able to put all the pieces together, not just the medications, but how do we think about the whole patient's journey? And so, and the cost is, of course, much, much cheaper when you do it this way. So Sanjeev started to reach New Mexico and then the country, and recently I partnered with Sanjeev to start teaching primary care clinics, neighborhood health centers across the United States, how to improve access and flow, and how to build improvement capability. I do believe this is going to be the future of specialized knowledge and transfer. So Sanjeev then went from himself treating hepatitis on Monday mornings. He added a rheumatology specialist on Monday mornings and started working with people for HIV, integrated addictions and psychiatry, working with peer, peer groups in, in prisons, and we're seeing all this kind of amazing care that's being delivered through consultation, teleconsultation and teleteaching. It's the triple aim, better health for these populations, much better care experiences at a much lower cost. So Sanjeev and I are now collaborating on how can we work around the world to reach billions of people because I do see that this notion of moving knowledge, not people, has really got tremendous traction for the future. Um, the second project I wanted to talk a little bit about is um, another project we launched in October 2014. Again, launched it in the United States, but have plans to spread it in 2015 around the world. And that's a project called 100 Million Healthier Lives. Here, uh, we want to get one out of three in the beginning, people who live in the United States, to be living totally different and healthier lives. So we brought together people from around the country, and it certainly was not just healthcare providers. We had people from public health, and we had uh, school teachers, and much like the early years project in Scotland, assembled everybody who cared about health. And they came together at IHI for several days, and we started brainstorming about what might a totally different way to think about health look like. We created a guiding coalition. We have now almost 500 organizations across the United States in just nine months' time actively working on thinking about health in a different way. 
one example is in Pueblo, Colorado, where they actually named a corporation. We're going to call ourselves the Triple Aim Group, and we're coming together um, to think about reducing unwanted pregnancies in teenagers. We're looking at lowering obesity rates. We're working on especially working with vulnerable populations to help them quit smoking and improving the lives of frail elders. And you can see from this graph here that in a few years' time, uh, the folks in Pueblo have already decreased unintended pregnancy, and they're now using that same kind of community coalition to spread these ideas even further. In Monadnock, another community here closer in New England, they're looking at equity. How do they understand where there's inequity or disparities in clinical outcomes? Is it an access problem? People who are poor can't access the health system? Or is it a different set of factors? They can't afford healthy food. They're not living in homes without mold or other um, factors that affect their health. And they're looking at the built environment. So we're here, totally different conversations. People in the past told us that they used to meet, but they weren't acting, and now they're acting. And I think that's been the really um, powerful thing about, um, about working on this at a community level. So what I'm suggesting here is that I think we need a couple of big changes in order to get to the triple aim to work on not only healthcare but health. The first is new roles, thinking about new roles because the traditional folks are still being trained largely in the old way. So how do we break through and think about new roles, then think about new sites of care, and think about new teams? New roles. I'll just throw out a couple of ideas. Last week, I had a wonderful conversation here at IHI um, with a physician named Rishi Manchandra who has created the idea that we need a new specialty, and he calls it upstreamists, that we need to have people whose job it is to think upstream and that every one of us in a care setting needs to think about our role as thinking about upstream. How not only do we take the best care of somebody with diabetes, but how do we prevent it? How do we prevent the complications from CHF? How do we uh, stop obesity? And so that notion of thinking upstream is, I think, a very powerful one for me. A second one is extensivist. How do we not discharge or hand over patients from one setting of care to another? But how do we actually think about taking care of patients across the continuum? Again, had a wonderful meeting um, at IHI this week with a group of people who take care of uh, children with severe chronic diseases. And the conversation was, how do we not hand them over when the young child turns 21, but how do we provide a care team that actually takes care of a child through their whole life so that they don't have to endure the burden of a handover, but we create vital teams that know how to care for people at all ages. And third, we're seeing wonderful examples of paramedic teams that are not only responding to emergencies, but they're actually creating health in their communities. We're seeing around the world uh, paramedic teams that are actively going out and visiting people who they know are living alone, who might stop and pick up medications from the pharmacy to assure that a patient who doesn't have transportation has access to medications. We're looking at paramedic teams that will go visit an elderly person who's frail, uh, not to to assess them and not to transport them to a hospital or to a physician practice, but just how to keep them company and looking at all of the social determinants of health. So I think we need to think about new roles 
and I think we need to think about new sites. And I just want to give you a couple of examples um, of new sites of care to provoke our thinking for the rest of the conversation. The first one is home. And here we're seeing, again, many elderly people are starting to use technology to connect with their physicians and their primary care teams to get care at home. At first, um, when we were asking uh, uh, clinicians, pharmacists, and, and physicians, can the elderly use technology to connect with you? And the assumption was, no, that they won't. But this gentleman is a perfect example. What we're finding is that giving the elderly an iPad and using that to help them connect is pr producing almost daily short interactions with the healthcare system that are much more effective than waiting for a six-month visit. Um, what you're seeing here is a person who's doing medication reconciliation with his pharmacist. And so what it, it, the, the uh, tension about on the clinician side was, oh, they won't be able to use the technology, and boy, have we been proven wrong. They love it. They set up an appointment. They get dressed and get coffee, and the women put a lipstick on. It's a social event for these people to connect with somebody on their iPad, do FaceTime. They bring all of their medications and line them up. And what we're finding is that there'll be a, a pill bottle or a, 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 an empty spot on their pill box. And the questions that are asking are producing much higher reliability assessment of what the patients are actually doing and what kind of adherence rates we're seeing. Another place is at the workplace. And this is an example from Bell & Health. Bell & Health looked at the health of their employees in the first instance. And I don't know about the countries that you're all working in, but here in the United States, people who are working in healthcare are among the least healthy of our nation's um, residents. So I do think we need to start here. We need to start in healthcare to make people who work in healthcare healthy. At Bell & Health, they agreed, and they began with their, their staff. And what they're finding is that by focusing on their employees, they were able to increase their, uh, they were able to actually save a lot of money because they were going upstream. And they were looking at improving their health risk appraisal scores as the people got healthier because they were accessing upstream care more than downstream care. The cost came down. And what you're seeing is the number of people who are at high risk, the number of high-risk employees dropping dramatically. Once their workforce became healthy, then Bellin said, we're going to go out and start to work with all of the other employers in our region. Now imagine the power of the CEO, George Kerwin from Bellin, being able to go out to employers and say, this is how healthy my workforce is. Let me help you with this. And he's began to put clinics and on-site services into the major employers around his uh, hospital in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And now all of a sudden the employers are seeing their employees, because they're getting care at the site of work, become healthier and the costs are reducing. You probably have all heard about the latest trend in the U.S., which is accountable care organizations. George started with his employees, went to other employers, and then was able to launch an accountable care organization that by all uh, measures in the United States is the most successful organ uh, accountable care organization in the U.S. They're seeing the quickest rates of improvement in health and the fastest uh, fall in costs. So here he's saying 
let's start internally and then move externally and building up the momentum for change. He's now moving from accountable care organizations to the community and beginning to partner with other, uh, with other county systems, with schools. He's got healthcare people in schools. He's got healthcare people out in the churches. And what they're starting to see is huge momentum in the 100 Million Healthier Lives campaign to move health into the community. But I do think it's a wonderful example of starting inside and then moving out. Another example of an employer-based uh, workforce health initiative is a new company that's called The Wonderful Company. And I love this company. It was started by two um, very successful entrepreneurs who began to think that their job wasn't just about being successful business people, but it was about health. So this wonderful company started buying up all of the um, food uh, production systems in the western part of the U.S. that produce healthy food in a healthy way. So they're producing um, fruits and vegetables, almonds and um, the like in the healthiest way. What they found is that they have 8,000 employees, and most of them are immigrant um, immigrants from Mexico. And as they found that when they came up to the United States, their health wasn't great or they didn't have great access to the healthcare system in the United States through the normal methods. So the wonderful company is working not only to produce healthy food for everybody in the U.S., but to make their workers the healthiest people in the country. So I love this idea of thinking about us as employers producing health inside our own companies first. Another great place to think about producing health is schools. And I want to show you this example from Chile. We were partnering with some folks from the Harvard School of Public Health on working on, um, on improving the health of children in some of the schools in Chile. And in the early days, what the uh, doctors and nurses that we spoke with said is we only see these children for maybe 15 minutes twice a year. There's no impact that we can have on childhood obesity. And so we said, well, if the children aren't at the physician's offices, where are they? Maybe they're at school, so let's go into the schools. What we found, though, is that they weren't regularly attending schools. The absentee rates were really high. So the first project that we did was to decrease chronic absenteeism. And we're using a driver diagram. I'm sure you are all, all familiar with this tool to decrease uh, absenteeism by 20%. Our theory was that the primary drivers were going to need to focus on the children and also to focus on the parents and then to focus on the teachers and the um, leaders, the principals in the schools. So this is the focus for the parents. This is a big whiteboard. When you walk into the school, it's in the front hallway. And at the bottom of each one of these columns is a, the child's name for a particular class. And then each day when they come into school, they get a red dot, and they put that on the column with their name. What we found was that the parents coming in had no idea of the variation in absenteeism or presenteeism of their own child. So it was motivational for the parents to try and close that absentee gap as much as it was for the children. The children also get motivation. You can see here that they get crowns and and prizes when they have exceptional attendance, and they get certificates that demonstrate the um, 
the gratitude of everybody to, to be there in school. And then the report cards are actually going to the school teachers now. So we're measuring absentees, absenteeism, and the teachers and the principals are looking at absenteeism through a different way. Once we got the children in school, we could start to work on obesity. And the first PDSA cycles were about decreasing sugar-sweetened beverages and increasing water consumption. You can see here the PDSA cycles. The first was just making water available, and the second one was about banning um, sugar-sweetened uh, beverages and, and not allowing them in school. Um, the third one was about developing a measurement system for the kids, and this is what it looks like. Every child has their picture in a shape, and it's on a wooden dowel. And as they drink water throughout the day, they're raising their picture to the top of the dowel. So we've not only taught the teachers PDSAs, we've also taught the kids how to improve their own health by giving them methods and tools, improvement tools, so that they increase their water consumption and move their picture up to the top of the dowel each day. The fourth one was changing what they served in the cafeteria. My favorite, I guess, is that every teacher has three plants on her desk, and each morning she pours water into one, pours nothing into the second one, and pours Coca-Cola into the third one. And what you can see is two of the plants dying and one thriving. And as the kids are watching this, you can see that the sugar-sweetened beverages have been decreasing as water consumption is increasing. So it's just an example of how I think us in healthcare, we could never have accomplished this alone. But I do think that by sharing our tools and methods, by looking at school as a place for improvement, for health, we can actually make some really dramatic changes. The, the next one is churches. And we've got a wonderful example here in Memphis, Tennessee, of a church health clinic that is focused on people who have uh, challenges in getting access to care. This church health center um, built a clinic and brings people in uh, not only to provide health care but to stimulate health. And it's, they're open to accessing uh, health needs for anybody, but I love what they're particularly doing on the focus of health. So they provide health care in the normal kind of a clinical setting, but they provide health by having a wonderful gym, by encouraging healthy cooking and healthy eating, and by focusing on a school, uh, by getting students in and having people volunteer to teach these kids. And what they're seeing there is a 74% increase in the mastery of their academic skills by creating this focus on health and learning all uh, through the church in Memphis, Tennessee. And then lastly, I wanted to talk about new teams. And this one is from Scotland. I think that some of you may know this story, but some years ago IHI partnered with, um, with leaders in, in Scotland to develop a project called the Early Years. It was an, a vision of Derek Feely when he was there um, to create a sense of, of health from conception to five in the earliest times. And we began by partnering with uh, the leaders in Scotland to teach improvement skills so that people could focus on improving health and resilience. And I love this example from Scotland 
uh, uh, Elaine Wiley is just a, a true hero, I think, a teacher at St. Ninian School in Sterling who learned her improvement skills in the early years project and then was provoked um, by this, this dear school friend, uh, an elderly gentleman, uh, 81 years old, who has lots of other things to do in his life but finds time every week to go visit the school and to teach the children um, poetry and music. And one day this school friend was telling um, Elaine uh, how he was observing that the kids were fat, the kids were overweight, and he didn't think the kids were in shape. So Elaine, knowing improvement skills, began to wonder how could she run a PDSA, and she got some of the kids to run around the field a few times, and I had to get Derek to translate for me what this meant. They couldn't run the length of themselves, um, that they were running only at a scout's pace, and what Elaine realized is that it was true that the kids weren't fit. So she started to use improvement skills, and she figured out that if they ran around the school on the field five times, five laps would equal a mile. So she started small, as we often do, got a a small group of kids in one class, and they began to run um, a few times around the school. And then she developed a measurement system and figured out how she could spread this particular model. Here you can see Elaine's PDSA. She began in one class and then eventually spread it to the entire school. And she has the children now going out in almost every single weather, almost every single day. Think about this. It's 15 minutes out of the class day. They don't change into exercise clothes. No training for the teachers. It's simple and it's free. So this one teacher began to develop the the daily mile, and this child has got her own measurement system. So she's got little blocks, and as she runs around the track, she adds a block on. So she's creating her own way to track that she's made the daily mile. The parents are saying that the kids are eating better and they're sleeping better. And as often is the case, the children are now provoking change in the parents because the parents now are running the daily mile, so they're getting more fit. And the staff are saying that the kids' confidence has increased, that their focus in school is improved, that they're really ready to learn when they come back into the classroom, and they're developing new relationships that they never did before. So the outcome is there's not one child in this school now that's overweight or unfit. Again, I think Elaine has had a greater impact on health than anybody in healthcare could have had by using quality improvement and by us thinking about a bigger team. So uh, another quick example, and then I'll wrap up for questions, is family health teams in Brazil. And I'm on my way down there next week, and what we're seeing there is a new way to structure healthcare teams. The family health teams have a physician, a nurse, a medical technician, and six community health workers, and each team is assigned a thousand families, and they are not only, again, providing health care, but they're providing health. They're going into every single one of these families' homes every several months. They're looking at food availability. They're looking at um, weight and exercise. They're looking at family relationships and stress and interpersonal uh, communications. They're looking at are people working or not, and they're providing health care. So I think the more that we can begin to 
come into the middle of this triangle and begin to think about not only health and care, but how do we come together to reduce per capita cost and think about working in the middle of this uh, notion of the triple aim, I think the faster progress we'll get. Well, thanks to Maureen for a great QI Connect talk. And if you want to hear how the questions went or Maureen's reflections on her talk, then you can get the full recording on the Healthcare Improvement Scotland website or on YouTube.